Hi, this is Lini Cameron, and this is always one of my favorite episodes when we invite exciting debut authors, and we work really hard to select six debut authors for you that you are going to have so much fun hearing and learning about their books. Let me tell you the six authors we have today, and then Ashley is going to kick off with our first three. So today we have Anju Gatani, Lynn Galadner, Delise Taras, Gabby Coatsworth, Noreen McGees, and Logan Steiner. I am so excited because like I said, we work really hard to select our debuts. We get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of submissions for each season. And it's a big deal when we go through and we look at the quality and all the proof points of someone's book and we say, yes, that's an author, even though it's their debut. We really, really want to have them on and talk to them now and not wait until they have a few more books under their belts. With that, I will let Ashley introduce our first three writers. Thank you, Lainey. I am very happy to kick off this exciting 2023 debuts episode. I have Angie with me, author of Dynasties, book one in the Winds of Fire series. Lynn, author of Woman of Valor. And Delise, author of One Tough Cookie. We're going to have each author tell us a bit about their novel. So, Andrew, can you start for us? Thank you, Ashley. Just so excited to be here on the show with these amazing, fabulous authors. Dynasties is book one in the Winds of Fire series. It's been a labor of love. The series, in a nutshell, is one woman's journey against all odds in modern-day India toward justice and self-empowerment. The series has been a work of 20 years plus, still going on. And Dynasties is the pillar book. It's the foundation for the entire series to come. And it focuses and hones on the story of Sheetal Prasad, who, to uphold family honor and tradition, Sheetal forsakes the man she loves and marries millionaire Rakesh Tanraj. Her world splinters into a web of lies, deceit, and betrayal. And Sheetal must stand up against the family, the two family dynasties, in order to protect her infant son from the family's tyranny. And that's just the pillar, the foundation to the entire Winds of Fire series. And there are many, many more books to come. And it's a multi-award nominated book. So I'm excited to share that with all of you. It's also the International Book of the Month pick by the Pulpwood Queen and an NIEA finalist. Thank you, Angie. Delise, how about you? Will you tell us about your debut novel? My debut novel is called One Top Cookie. And it is booty women's fiction set at a cookie company featuring a Latina feedback. So the protagonist, Karina, she's an unlikable female character, and she thinks love makes you weak, fall in love, and then she meets um, the new mechanic who makes her feel things she shouldn't be feeling or hates that she's feeling. And the book is ultimately about respecting other people's choices and accepting others' differences. Thank you, Delise. And Lynn, how about you? Tell us about your debut novel. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here with these great authors. The Woman of Valor is my debut novel, and it's the story of a young woman, Sally, who moves to Chicago, and she chooses to become Orthodox in Judaism, and she loves her life. She's married to the love of her life. They have three kids. Everything is going well. And then one of her children is abused at his school, and she and her husband respond differently. They're both outraged, but they want to take different actions. So it causes a rift in their marriage for the first time. And that's right around the time that her ex-boyfriend sneaks back into her life on Facebook and says he really regrets 
letting her go. And there's all kinds of turmoil. So it's a book about infidelity, about love, about community, but mostly it's about figuring out who you want to be, carving out an identity you can live with and that you can love um, while still belonging to a community where you feel at home. And that's what this book is about. Thank you. This is a fantastic group. We have a good variety, diverse characters, cultures, locations, themes. This is going to be fun. Thank you all for joining me. I would like you to describe your inspiration. Where did that original spark or idea come from that led you to want to spend the time, sweat, tears to write a novel about the story? Delise, let's start with you. Well, the idea for One Top Cookie started with a dream. I dream was just a moment between uh, Karina and Ian, who is the protagonist. And they were just talking and that inspired me to write a scene. And in the book, in the dream, they were talking outside the food company that I used to work at. I am a food scientist and I used to work as a quality assurance manager in a dried sherry manufacturing plant. In the dream, they were talking there and I knew, okay, she would work in the production area and he would be a mechanic because that's how the company was set up. And then I decided to not do it at that exact company. I created my own fictional cookie company. And that's basically, and the whole lot of the just came after this dream. When you said it started with a dream, I was thinking like a dream to write a book. But you dreamt of these characters. Lynn, how about you next? What was your initial spark? Yeah, so I've always been a writer. And I actually had eight books published before this novel. They were nonfiction and poetry. And I always wanted to write fiction. And I tried, actually. This is not the first novel I've written. The first novel has been published. This one started in 2011. And I had the idea... For the character, Sally, who's the main character, I spent 10 years as an Orthodox Jew, and I was about three years out of that community. I had decided to leave it, but I started writing, and I got about 60 pages in and stalled because I hadn't really thought through what it was going to be. So I put it aside for 10 years, and I was raising kids, and I have a business, and all these things. And in 2021, I said, okay, now I really think my writing skills are at the point where I can get serious about fiction. And I went back to the characters, and I said, well... The bones of the story are decent, but the story itself needs to totally change. And that's when I got really serious and I started being deliberate in how I was writing. And so I wanted a positive view of Orthodox Judaism. I felt that there were so many TV shows, movies, books out there about religious people who don't like their community and decide to leave it, that the world didn't need another one. So I wanted to show the beautiful sides of it. Even though I chose to leave the community, there are so many things I really appreciate about it. I wanted to show a passionate marriage. I wanted to show positive friendships, but also the challenges that real people find in their community, whether it's religious or not, and how you make a decision to face them, to meet the challenges, and to really carve out an identity that that you can live with. And so in 2021, I got really serious about it. I knocked out a first draft. I went through revision after revision. Then I hired a developmental editor, went through another couple revisions, had some beta readers, and finally felt like this story, I just loved it. And I felt like it came together. It also taught me that I need to plot out my novels. So my next novel, which is in revisions now, I spent a lot of time plotting because I didn't do that with Women of Valor. And I really felt like I didn't know where I was going. So I learned a lot from the process. I love that you mentioned that this is not the first book that you or novel that you've written. 
think a lot of people who want to write a novel think that the first novel they write will be the first novel they publish. Andrew Delis, is your debut novel the first novel you ever wrote? No. <laughs> it is. Oh, it is for one of you. So thank you, Lynn. Angie, tell us about your inspiration, that original spark or idea. My story is very similar to Delisa's. It came from a dream. It was a daydream, sort of just 40 minutes before I had to pick up my then five and a half year old from the bus stop. We had just moved from Singapore to New Jersey, US. The landscape, the geography, everything about this country was new for me. And I took a nap, which I was lucky to get when you're raising two small kids. In that, uh, I snapped out of the, the daydream and my palms were sweaty. My heart was racing. I didn't understand whether what I had just seen was a dream or whether it was a story or a movie or something I'd read before, but it was just so riveting. I couldn't understand what I was dealing with. And I tried to knock that out of my system. But having been an international freelance journalist published for 10 years, I knew this was not a short fiction. Then began the journey of who are these characters? Why are they running? Who are they running away from? Where are they running to? Why is their lives in jeopardy? And what is the cause of the jeopardy? Working backwards from that scene, I realize now after 20 plus years of rewrites and rights and everything, but I think in the first 10 years, I figured out sort of pretty much in the first three, four years, that scene was the end of what is now book two in this five or six book series. And that book two, once and for all, is coming out in January of 2024. It's called Once and For All. So that riveting scene, I had to work backwards from to understand and then work my way forwards, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> Absolutely. But I am so intrigued that even your inspiration or spark, that original idea, runs the spectrum from an actual dream, a daydream, to <laughs> personal experience. This is so interesting to me. For those who are aspiring authors, what is your best advice for authors? Lynn, let's start with you. Well, I teach a lot of writing and lead writers retreats. And one of the things that I say again and again, that you need to write, you need to create a habit, a practice of it. I spent so many years where I'd say, I'll write when the inspiration hits me. I didn't write that often when I did that. So it's really helped to carve out a schedule for myself. And then it sort of feeds itself and really encourages more and more content and quality content. And I'm happy doing it. But the other thing I would say is to surround yourself with people who believe in you as a writer, because there's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of lack of confidence, even after people have books out. And so if you can connect with other writers in your genre, if you can have a little writing workshop or group near your home or virtually or whatever it is, um, the more you surround yourself with a community of writers, the more you'll believe that you can do this. And I think that's super important to have that support. Yeah, a few of us were at the writers conference this past weekend. And it is, it's one of the best communities, I have to agree. And Jill, what about you? What is your best writing advice? My best writing advice comes from personal experience. I also am an instructor, fiction writer, and I love to teach the craft of fiction writing. So what I've learned in the process is there's a lot of write what you know and stick to what you know. But I would say start with what you know and then let your imagination and experience take over and guide you forward. Because like Lynn said, you need to find your tribe. You need to find people who are going to be positive and understand this very, very abstract concept of writing a novel, never mind characters and plots and conflict which exist in your head and are not even real to begin with. 
So you need to find your tribe who can guide you, who can hold your hand and say, it's all fine, it's all good, I and mean, who can help you dissect the problems. But start on familiar territory and then let the waters of your story just lead you forward and go with the flow. That's beautiful. Delise, what about you? Your best writing advice? My best writing advice is to be open to criticism. For me, before I got the offer for a book deal, the publisher wanted me to change the food safety aspect of my book and wanted it to be a bakery instead of a company. And I was like, no way, I'm not changing that. But I'm willing to change a few things. And I worked and I created an outline of what I would be willing to change. And since they had, there was like this misunderstanding about being a food scientist uh, which I get a lot, what is a food scientist? Then I added that that element to the book, kind of explaining. And thankfully, they accept, they gave me an offer. I mentor uh, sometimes, and I see that writers are really close, you know, they don't want to change. If you say you should change something big, then they're really kind of resistant to that. And... I think you shouldn't change. It doesn't sound right, but should be open to change something. And maybe you don't change it exactly like the other person suggests, but you change it in a way that is a middle ground. And I think if you want to be traditionally published, you need to be able to adapt and change and not be so tied uh, to the original story. And I'm glad that I did the changes because I think the book is much better uh, for it. Yeah, I love that advice, starting with putting in the work and the time and creating the writing habit, finding your community, starting with what you know, but then allowing your imagination to lead you the rest of the way. And then finally being open to criticism it was like such a perfect circle of advice from beginning to end a person's writing journey. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap up our part of our exciting 2023 debuts? Now, I just like to add something really quick. Don't let anyone tell you you can't write. Mm -hmm. Your story is yours to tell. And if you don't tell your story, who else is going to come in and tell your story? Yeah. You're the best advocate for your story and your characters. So speak your heart out and bleed on the page, just like I do. Yeah, I would follow that. That's great advice, Anju. I think in line with what you said, if you're writing to please somebody else, you may not be writing your best story. And so write the story you want to read, write the story that you're going to fall in love with, because your heart and soul will be in it. And then people are going to love it. So it'll be so much stronger. Yeah, yeah. And to add, just stay true to your story. For example, my novel has an unlikable character. And many people, she's unlikable throughout the whole process. And I adjusted it. But that's who she is. And I just couldn't, I felt, it felt like a betrayal. And so it's like, that's her. And I keep getting this criticism, but uh, it doesn't matter. Like I'm proud of the character. Be open, but also stay true to your, the story you want to tell. And you, Delise, Lynn, thank you all so much for joining me for this part of our exciting 2023 debuts and congratulations. You have a debut novel. It's so exciting. Thank you so much, Ashley. This is such an honor. Really, thank you for having us on here. Thank you, it's Ashley. A privilege. Yes. Thank you, Ashley. No, it's a privilege.
Thanks, Ashley. That was fabulous. And I am so excited because I get to introduce you to three more debut authors and novels and very different from the three we just heard, which is so exciting. I love the diversity of different types of stories that I'm going to be chatting with you along with Logan Steiner, Gabby Coatsworth, and I am going to mess up your name. I know, Maureen, so I apologize in advance. Noreen Maurice, why don't you say it for me so that everybody hears the correct pronunciation? It's Noreen Maurice. Thank you. I apologize. I try. I actually used to live in France and Noreen just explained to me that you kind of roll the R as if you were almost in French or German. And I have never been able to roll my R's. Like I've spent my life trying to roll my R's properly and I already know I can't do it. So I apologize that it's a lifelong quest and it's funny because I lived in France and I still can't do it. Let's jump into talking about these three fabulous novels. And let's just start with each novelist telling us a little about their book. And Noreen Singh, as we were talking with you first, let's kick off with yours. Hi, I'm Noreen Maurice, and my book, The Misarrangement of Sana Saeed, is a rom-com romance, borders on women's fiction, about, it's a loose retelling of persuasion, and it's about this girl who has responsibilities of her younger brother, and agrees to get set up by her family, and lo and behold, the day that she agrees, her old ex-best friend turned now enemy turns back in town and messes her best laid plans. So that's the short version of my book, but it is a loose retelling of persuasion with a little bit of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, I love that. It sounds so fun. I can't wait to read it. Gabby, why don't we have you tell us a little bit more about A Beginner's Guide to Starting Over? Uh, happy to. Yes, my heroine, my main character, is a middle-aged widow who owns a bookstore and has a wicked landlord who is trying to put her out of business by raising the rent too high. And he's also trying to date her online by putting up fake photos of himself. And her friends want her to start dating again, so she's got these two problems. And as she's looking at a few men, photos of men online, a voice behind her says, you can't go out with that guy. He's at least, you know, 70. And she turns around and it's the ghost of her dead husband. And he says that he's there to help her find a replacement who's not quite as good as him, but will do. And after she's rolled her eyes, he starts to give her advice and he is terrible at picking people for her. So of course, eventually she's going to have to figure out how to sort out her life herself with a little help from her friends. I love this. We've got two very different storylines that are kind of like romantic elements, women's fiction, but coming from two very different places. Logan, tell us a little bit more about yours. My debut novel, After Anne, is historical fiction. It is based on the life story of Ellen Montgomery, who wrote Anne of Green Gables, as well as 20 other novels. She became world famous in her time. She grew up in rural Canada, is still one of the best-selling authors in all of Canada. And it's really, it's a story of success against the odds. It's a story of a little girl who had writing dreams, lost her mom young, was raised by grandparents who didn't support her dreams, and heard the voice of a character in her head that she couldn't shed and persisted through a lot of rejection. As the title suggests, though, it is also a story of what came after the dream come true, what came after the tremendous success, almost instant success of Anne of Green Gables and world fame that followed shortly thereafter, including the impact of that success and fame on Ellen Montgomery went by Maud on Maud's marriage to a minister 
and her balancing of becoming a mother and writing and marriage, as well as deciding what parts of herself to make public versus keep private when she became a public figure and figuring out how to balance the demands of the readership. So the bulk of the focus of the book is what came after that success. I love that. And I've only had the chance to read one of these three so far. So now I'm like, after this, I'm going to go get the other two. Let's uh, transition into talking a little bit of inspiration. So Gabby, let's start with you. You decided to put this husband who's passed away and make him a real character in the book. And I love the humor in it. But like, where on earth? What was the spark of inspiration for this story? Okay, so I am a widow. About like two years after my husband died, my friends started saying to me, so, you know, when are you going to start dating again? There's online, there's this, there's that. And I'm like, no, please. You know, men are such hard work. <laughs> Not now. And their second question was, you know, if you don't believe in heaven, what do you think happens to people? And my real belief about this is that you carry the people you love with you all the time. And I know many people who talk to the people that they love in their heads. And I can still, my sister died too, and I can still hear her voice saying, you really don't look good in that color, you know, <laughs> which, is, which is ridiculous because this was a long time ago. But she's still with me. And so what I did in this book was to take that conversation in a person's head and just take it one step further so that the person they love is actually there. And because you know that there have been movies like this where ghostly presences turn up and can be funny and, and so on, that was one inspiration for me. Uh, that was the ghostly part. And then I've always liked bookshops, of course, who doesn't? And I've always thought it would be a great idea to own one. And then I thought, well, but what if things start to go wrong? That was how I ended up with the story. I was just writing it for fun, really. And then I got carried away and it turned into a novel. It has definitely, I've had a chance to read it. To me, it has a little bit of Hallmark vibes, like small town, cozy, bit of a mystery. What about Actually, you? Hallmark couldn't see it as a Hallmark movie. They <laughs> said they liked it, but they never do things with ghosts because that makes it paranormal. So that was an interesting reaction from them, but I'm glad they read it. And um, Noreen, I'm really excited on what your inspiration to hear what your inspiration was. And I find it interesting that both you and Logan were kind of inspired by classical literary stories slash heroines here. Tell me a little bit more about what, where that came from and how you decided to go down that path. I love Persuasion. I think it is my favorite book by Austin. I know people love Pride and Prejudice, and that's most people's favorite. But I feel like I relate to Anne and her character so much more in terms of being a woman who's later in life and like there's a, a, so much of that particular culture of like being set up and the family dynamic how she sort of navigates this you know I want to get married to someone that I love but I also want to keep everybody else around me happy and sort of keep the peace so I think that's very sort of like what I grew up with it's a cultural thing that we with South Asians are that way so I think that and then I always love the classics. I love Shakespeare. I love Austin. And I grew up reading them. So it was a mishmash of the two ideas. And obviously, there's a lot of Bollywood references, because those are the movies that I grew up watching. And then there's a lot of food references in there, too, which is part of South Asian culture. Like, everywhere we go, food comes with us, and everything begins with food and ends with a dessert. So whether it's a fight or a marriage or anything... <laughs> 
The Bollywood references reminds me a little of them. We had Sonali Dave on the podcast and Sonali works a lot of Bollywood references into her books. They're very successful as I'm sure this one will be. I think people who love those books like me will adore your book too. So that's really fun to hear. And hopefully we see it on, on um, Thank you. Hallmark. Yeah, I, I don't know, so. Hallmark on my brain. And I was just going to say to Gabby's point, like they have made ghost movies. You never know. <laughs> Logan, I am fascinated by the concept of writing about the life of this author that I honestly knew nothing about, right? Everybody's heard of Anne of Green Gables, but just hearing how many other novels she wrote, like, how did I not know that? And I didn't even know that she was famous during her lifetime. Many authors aren't. Tell us more. How did you work all this out and decide that that was where you wanted to focus your historical fiction? It's so interesting to hear Noreen's story. We were both drawn into our novels based on love of Anne characters. So for me... It was Anne of Green Gables and Ella Montgomery's fiction was, you know, those are my favorite books growing up. I was introduced to Anne of Green Gables, the original by my grandmother, who I was very close to, who shared Maud's Scottish roots, also lived on a small Iowa farm town, similar to the farm town in Prince Edward Island where Maud grew up. So some real connections there. And I was immediately drawn to that and character. I think there are probably as many reasons for loving Anne of Green Gables as there are Anne fans out there. But for me, so much of what stood out was her unfiltered ways. I was somebody who was always really worried about what people thought from a young age. And Anne inspired me, gave me permission to say more of what I meant in the world when I read that character. Learning more about her creator's life, I was immediately struck. I, like you, Lainey, didn't know a lot about her background, but I read more about her life and was particularly struck by this note left by her bed when she died. And this line in it says, my position is too awful to endure and nobody realizes it. And that just hit so hard for me. I related, I think so many of us can, to looking so different on the outside than you feel on the inside. And I think that line really got to that. And it really struck me as this creator of a character who really wore her emotions on her sleeve to write that she couldn't share her deepest feelings with other people or that nobody knew what those feelings were. That juxtaposition just really stood out to me. I really wanted to dive into it further. In doing that, I came to realize how much of Anne's way of being was both so attractive to people at the time, but also so threatening to people at the time. You know, it draws And still today, I think it draws us in, but being that unfiltered is deeply threatening and was particularly threatening in that time and place. And Maude herself, you know, was really navigating that struggle her whole life. And it really is that divide between private self and public image, the the driving force and central exploration of the novel. And isn't that interesting that like we live in this world of social media today, right? Where we think yeah. that it's because of social media that we have this issue of like, we're living in public, but that's not our real life. Isn't that fascinating that I would have thought that was a modern phenomenon and here she was living with the same thing, just in a different way and a different time. I, I find that fascinating. I do too. And I've talked about that with readers. I think in a way we're facing, all of us now are facing in a more immediate sense what only public figures like Ellen Montgomery faced back in that day. But I think there's so much in her story that has particular relevance now and is part of what drew me in because we're all doing that all the time and figuring out just how real to be. And it's something that I've explored and made a commitment to myself to try to be as authentic as I can 
I think it's amazing that she made a living from her books while she was alive. I'm sure we all wish we could do the same. Yes. She was a groundbreaking female author, really. She was. Her books sold very well, and she supported her family for quite some time. Her husband struggled with mental illness and wasn't always able to work, and that was both a triumph and also a lot of pressure. That's a perfect transition, the pressure of being a new author, to talk a little bit about writing advice. Maybe let's start with you, Logan, this time. What's what's your best writing advice? The power of habit is something that I have emphasized with so many people who say, how did you do this? I am a practicing lawyer, and I can say that it was a very slow process. It was kind of eight years from start to finish. But the best way that I found to get words on the page, which has always been the hardest thing for me as a very kind of self-critical writer, was to make a 20-minute-a-day commitment. So I told myself, no matter what's happening, no matter if I'm working until 10 p.m., I'll do at least 20 minutes every day. A lot of times that would turn into more, but that habit was really how I went from having this dream of writing to actually writing. And relatedly, I would say having a day job has been really helpful for me. It's not for everyone, but having something where there's not pressure on making money, which is such an unpredictable thing in the arts. Uh, That's something that my mom, who's an artist, instilled in me, something that I'm very grateful to have. I've heard that a lot had a lot of conversations in the last few weeks about this question of, do you want to put the pressure on your art that it has to be the thing that earns your money? And so, yeah, it's very interesting to hear your perspective. And Noreen, what about you? What advice do you give to other writers? So I'm speaking from perspective of a marginalized author. It's not easy. I will say that it's so much harder sometimes to find that, yes, because you hear a lot of no's, you hear a lot of maybes, Maybe we'll take it on, but not a lot of yeses. But my advice is if you're a marginalized author, writing from the margins, keep going. Do not give up. Write the best story you can. Don't worry about where it will go. And you will eventually find your audience and you will find a way to publishing, whether it's indie, whether it's traditional, whether it's short stories like There's many paths to publishing. There's not. My thing was kind of like Logan, that I didn't have a lot of time to do indie publishing in terms of like investing money and, you know, marketing. I still have to market, by the way. It doesn't matter if you're traditional or not. You still have to market a lot. That's why I chose that route to find my audiences, because it's really hard if you're not writing genre fiction to find your niche audience or like, I shouldn't say niche, just your audience. But yeah, perseverance, don't give up. Find your people, community, so important. I would not have gotten where I am if I didn't have my friends cheering me at every single stage in writing, whether you're querying, then when you're in submission, then when you're debuting, post-debut, you sort of need people to like vent to and talk to and talk through a lot of things. So yeah, that's my advice. Absolutely. And Gabby, I'm, I'm having you round us up here. And I've got, well, I have a couple of pieces of advice. One of them I'm famous for, and, and that is write badly. Because I think a lot of people get intimidated by the idea that, that when you write a novel, it comes straight out as a perfect book. Those of us who actually do that know that this doesn't happen at all, that the first draft is always awful. So I say to people, write badly and aim low. And that's to Logan's point about 
writing every day. So if someone says to me, I'm going to write four hours a day every day, I say, stop right there. Because if you write three and a half hours every day, you're going to feel like you failed. Whereas if you set yourself 20 minutes, which is brilliant, you're probably going to exceed it. And if you set yourself five days a week instead of seven, the same thing applies. And that seems to work for people. It certainly worked for me. One of the things that also worked for me, as you mentioned, was joining write-ins. These are online events where writers check in, say what they're going to write, and then write for 90 minutes, and then say how well they did or didn't do. I run one of those myself, and when I do, I say to people, it doesn't actually have to be writing. It's got to be something that moves your writing forward, so it can be submitting or researching or any number of things. Joining write-ins, which the Women's Fiction Writers Association organizes every day, sometimes two or three a day, is a fantastic way to commit to writing because I find that with it on my calendar, I'm more apt to do it. Oh, gosh, my friends are waiting for me. I'd better show up, you know. So, yes, I, and that also speaks to Noreen's point about finding a community because if you're writing women's fiction or you are writing about a protagonist who has a, a character arc, a journey, then no matter what genre you're in, and it could be cozy mysteries, it could be historical fiction, it could be a whole lot of things, the Women's Fiction Writers Association, which is not just for women, by the way, offers a haven where you have this enormous resource, 2,000 plus other writers doing what you're doing, that can help you. You can always find someone to answer your questions. Absolutely. And I think that support is especially important. Like Noreen said, if you're writing something that hasn't been written before, you're writing on the margins, you're writing a perspective that hasn't often been written, it feels like it's even worse because there are so many gatekeepers there to say, oh, well, that doesn't look like something I'm used to seeing. And I think then it's even more important to find that community who's going to say to you, but that makes it even more valuable, not less valuable. Like, all these stupid gatekeepers who tell you, well, like, that doesn't look like anything I've seen. I'm like, well, that's the whole point. That's why it's even better because you haven't read it before. And it is just weird to me that we get in this mode, especially in traditional publishing, where agents look at past sales and say, well, did something like this sell in the past? But by definition, if you're creating something fabulous because it's new, it's not going to look like something that sold in the past. And so I do think these other paths to publishing, small publishers, Alcove is a phenomenal publisher. There's a lot of smaller publishers. I went out with one. And even indie publishing, like, don't let someone tell you your work doesn't belong in the world. It does. And it's fabulous. And it should be there. And so I'm very happy to hear you say that, Noreen, because I think it's a problem we haven't solved yet in the world of women's fiction. And we need to keep working on it. With that, I'm going to wrap up. We put the social media of all of our authors who are here on the podcast on our website at bestofwomensfiction.com. If you go to the website, look at this episode, you can find the social media and the links to all of the books for all of the authors that we just ch chatted with. Any final remarks before we go here? Anything we neglected to say that anything any of you wanted to say? Well, I would just like to say thank you to you and Ashley for giving us authors a helping hand because sometimes you feel quite lonely and this makes it so lovely to know that we've got friends. So well put. And it's just been wonderful to be here with all three of you today. Same. I want to thank you. Like you said, you receive a lot of submissions for picking my book and, you know, giving me the push and exposing me to other great writers. I'm going to buy everybody's books and I'm so excited. Us too. And I would encourage everybody listening, go check out all six books. I am sure that when you look at the six, you can find at least two that you want to read. 
possibly you're going to want to read all six. So go check them all out on the website. You've got all the links there. And thank you, Ashley, for hosting the first half of this. Thank you to all of our six authors for joining us today. Thanks so much.